You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Being in Steel Panther, like we chose, we chose our path years ago, and our path was the opposite of political correctness, right? So it's always it's always been. Um, we've also we, we've always said fuck you to political correctness, and because of where we're at now, that has has made us, I think, very a lot stronger, and we're political correctness uh, resistant. Hey, welcome to another episode of 2020. My name's Corey Peza, and I'm here with my cohorts, which I don't usually use that phrase, but it seems to have caught on. <laughs> um, You're being brainwashed by your other two cohorts. <laughs> yes, exactly. So that that is uh, Siobhan Cronin. Hello. And Benny Goodman, who is indisposed. <coughs> yeah. In the process of inhaling something. That's a little Black Sabbath reference. Yeah. Um, yep. That's a mess. More like <laughs> still waiting for him to acknowledge that he's here. <laughs> oh, he's he's made himself known. Hello. This this uh, this episode, we're back with Satchel. So we hope you watch the first one. It's incredible. Uh, this episode. Can we play a game? Can we play a game though? Uh, while we're listening to these episodes and from now on. So if you guys are drinkers like Corey and Siobhan, I don't drink. Clearly, you guys know why I don't drink. It's because I'm crazy enough as is. Um, but anytime I say, here's the thing. Or we use the word cohort, or we use a word that you don't know, and then acknowledge that we don't use a, a we use a word that's like above the pay grade. Or anytime Satchel says something that's polysyllabic, take a shot, take a shot. No one will make how, it through the episode. See, 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 see. Well, just with the here's the thing, you'll probably be like yeah. six minutes into you'll it. You'll be wasted and then, six minutes in. Yeah. Yeah, even on Malibu. Yeah, because it's like a drug. You're like you're on heroin. You're on Malibu. Anyways, this is a uh, this is a great episode. The, the kind of you know really can can give you a, an outlook on life as far as is taking advantage of a situation that on the outside might seem bad, but you know this is kind of a, a lemons into lemonade type of deal. So yeah, we get into a lot of you know more in detail about cancel culture and a funny and his writing process exactly guitar playing writing process a lot more in depth information. So stay tuned. Here we are, part two with Satchel. Ladies and gentlemen, and as Benny likes to say, everyone else in between, welcome back to part two with one of our very special guests. But before I get to that, I'm not going to forget this time. And I'm going to introduce myself and my co-hosts because I forgot <laughs> the last time I did the intro. So I'm Siobhan Cronin and Woo! I'm here <laughs> in no particular order with Corey Peza. Thank you. And Benny Goodman. Ahoy. <laughs> and we're here. Thank you for part two with... An amazing guest, Satchel from Steel Panther. Woo! And if you haven't checked out part one yet, definitely go back and listen. We get into a lot of cool and interesting stories, and I'm super excited to dive back in and get into some even deeper stuff, more whatever. I don't even know what we'll talk about, but we'll get there. <laughs> so welcome back again, Satchel. Part one was amazing. Oh my God. That was the best. That was the best part so far, really. <laughs> but this well, is like the Godfather part two, though. You know what I mean? Like this is gonna be the one. This could be this could be amazing or it could suck. We don't know. <laughs> we say <laughs> that before every episode, better. right? 
So we were talking a little bit at the at the end of the last one, um, how Steel Panther shows are kind of funny enough a safe space um, for <laughs> political incorrectness, which is kind of like a really weird, ironic thing. But uh, what's your take on political correctness outside of a Steel Panther show? It's the death of free speech as we know it. You know, it's because it, it is. It's it's horrible. It's, I mean, it's 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 cancel culture, right? So. So if we can't sue you because of the stupid thing that we don't like that you said, we'll just we'll just ruin your life however we can. We'll we'll make sure that you don't have any followers. You know, we'll make sure that uh, that nobody watches your TV show or buys your records. And, you know, but but again, you know, I think that's one thing that, you know, like being in Steel Panther, like we chose we chose our path years ago and our path was the opposite of political correctness, right? So it's always, it's always been, um, we've also, we, we've always said fuck you to political correctness. And because of where we're at now, that has, has made us, I think, very, a lot stronger. And, and we're political correct, we're political correctness uh, resistant. Yeah. You know? Well, no, you've benefited from it because, like, I want to tell a story that, I mean, obviously, I'm sure in many interviews you've talked about, but for people that don't know Steel Panther, and I just remember thinking that this was just totally taking lemons and making lemonade. Um, you were working with TC Helicon, and you had a, a patch in one of their effect pedals. They make stuff for guitars or whatever. It was called the Pussy Melter. And a bunch of angry keyboard warriors... And I fucking hate these people. Like the, the trolls behind the screens that don't even know. Like they're just reading meme culture. They're literally mouth breathers with their nose hanging out. They're like just fucking breathing up all the air. And they said, we don't even know anything about Satchel. But you can't make something on this effect pedal for guitars called the Pussy Melter. When there's the big muff. There's like the, so many. There's a million different, way worse, if you want to say, uh, offensive <laughs> things out there. And... Like, I want to say it was like 600 people or something like that petitioned because that's what you do now. You just get on like a digital petition. But then, the, like, I want to say two or three days later, I think it was like thousands, like an exponential factor of people petitioned TC Helicon who had already said they were sorry, already had, you know, said, how dare we associate with Satchel and the pussy melter and all this sort of stuff. And they had already, they'd already ruined it. And you guys said, fuck it. We'll make the pussy melter. And next thing I know, I, I'm talking to you on the phone. You're like, we're in the guitar pedal business. Can you talk about that? Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, you, you summed it up. There was, there was a backlash from somebody in some shitty alternative band that w was, a, was a girl who which obvious, was obvious. So she's not a girl anymore. She was a social she's not judge. yet a woman? She was not a woman yet, and I don't think she ever will be. But she, but she, she was a social justice warrior, and she got really angry that there was something so sexist called a pussy melter. And she wrote something about how offended she was and, and um, how this, in this day and age, it shouldn't be happening. Didn't do any research on the band or what we do. And she, by the way, she was Asian. I, I thought, guys, isn't it ironic that we do a song called Asian hooker and she didn't get pissed off about that. I mean, do a little research, you know, you should be way more mad at us for the song. <laughs> no, you're shit. <laughs> Or the, or the but anyway, she she did this this thing, and everybody got. I mean, honestly, like when when you're a social justice warrior, and you and you put something out like that, and you get everybody to sign a petition. I think a lot of those people that sign it, like 
90% of them are just like, oh, I'll sign whatever. Yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. You know, they don't, they don't do any research at all. And there was this backlash and, and, um, and a lot of our fans, you know, again, you know, like I said earlier, you know, we, we have become resistant to, to um, the social justice warriors and the political correct trolls, uh, you know, all that stuff. And, and so, so, you know, because, because of exactly the, what I was talking about in the last episode, we've become this safe haven for people who lo- love to laugh at whatever the fuck they think is funny. And they don't <laughs> worry about who's offended by it. And there was a great time. And, you know, back in the eighties when heavy metal ruled and men wore lipstick and you could, you could go to the fucking bookstore. Oh, and- they wear li- lipstick now, dude. <laughs> yes, they do. I know at the clubs that you go to, they do, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, there used to be these. I can't afford to get into any of the other clubs. Those ones let me in for free. There used, used to be these books called Truly Tasteless, Tasteless Jokes. Do you remember those books? Oh, I do. Truly Tasteless Jokes. And, and in junior high, I remember being in junior high school. I used to just sit around at, at break time with my friends, and we used to read all these truly tasteless jokes. <laughs> it was everything. The most racist, horrible humor. And it was from a book that you could buy at a bookstore, which nowadays you'd never be able to do because some asshole would have it banned, right? So cancel culture is ruining everything, including humor. And, and uh, you can't even get um, stand-up comics to go perform at colleges anymore, right? Because they're all afraid they'll get canceled as well. But because of what we've built as a brand, you know, when, when these people started to backlash against the Pussy Melter, we had all these fans that came to our rescue and said, fuck you, you're not taking this away from us. You know, we're, and it became a battle. And TC Electronics did exactly what you would expect a large corporation to do. They went, we'll do whatever you say. They, they bowed to the cancel culture crowd and they took the, the pedal patch away and they basically said, you're on your own satchel. <laughs> and um, I made fun of them for that. I made, you know, I tweeted a couple things about them changing their name to from TC electronics to PC electronics. <laughs> <laughs> But what happened was we got a call from a company less than a week later and they said, Hey, how would you guys like to make an actual pedal called the pussy melter? And we'll go into business with you. And we said, well, what is it going to cost us up front? And they said, nothing. We'll, we'll manufacture it. All we need is the design of the pedal. Like you, what do you, what do you want it to look like? And we've got an electronic engineer who's got, who's got, he already had an amazing distortion pedal circuit and um, it was just, it was just perfect. It fell into place. And, and so I heard the pedal. I thought, Oh my God, this is an amazing, it's not just a great name for a pedal, but it's also a great sounding pedal. And so we put it on sale and, and um, I think we, we sold like 2,500 pedals in a week. Uh, uh, Wow. Foot pedal businesses is a fit. It's a, finicky business to be in and they don't always sell but we we've sold quite a few foot pedals and and we did a reissue of the pussy melter it's called the butthole burner and um nice. but i'll tell you it, you know it, it's um it was really just one of those being in the right place at the right time and knowing that you know because it went viral so quickly and everybody was you know talking about it oh the pc crowd you know Satchel has pissed somebody off. And, you know, it was all about that. Like, ooh, Satchel pissed somebody off. And our crowd went, fuck you. 
look at all the people that are buying, you know, they all just went out and bought the pedal and, every, and it became this, a collector's item over, overnight. So everybody who's got one is, uh, is you know, the, the thing is tripled in value in like a year. It's pretty funny. It's amazing. Wow. That's amazing. That's, it's got to be so liberating to just like, uh, you really highlight for me the importance of being honest and authentic with all your artistic choices, like as you go along. And I think that that's, that's so powerful because if you cater yourself to what you believe is to be accepted or what people want at the time, inevitably it's going to change. And then you're going to be yesterday's bubblegum, you know? So it's that, that was amazing, you know, amazingly like visionary in my opinion, you know, that you saw the importance of just sticking to what you always thought was true, you know, for you all along. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I appreciate that. And, and, and it's, it's true. It, it turned into this, one of those things where not only did we get to actually make a pedal that was great and really cool looking and offended certain people, but <laughs> it, you know, in my opinion, we were, we were on the right side of the free, the battle for free speech. You know I mean? You're, you're either, you either are for free speech or you're not. And, and don't get me wrong. I don't expect any company to, to stand up for everybody's right. You know, they, they got to think of their bottom line. So TC electronics, you know, they're, they, they took the, uh, the easy way, easy way out. They're not from America. They're, they're Dutch. So maybe they don't appreciate free, free speech as much as I do. I'm, I'm a fucking red blooded American, man. I like free speech. And somebody tells me that I can't fucking say something. It actually pisses me off. So, um, I was really proud to be on that side of the fight, and and um, I'm really glad that not only did we put uh, actual pedal out, but we sold a bunch of them. And there's a lot of people that were really really happy that they got to buy the actual pedals instead of it turned into something that was way cooler than it originally was. It re- originally, it was just a patch, and then it became an actual pedal that's really fucking cool. So, thank you, uh, Social Justice Warriors and and PC. That's well, amazing. speaking of, of gear, in the last episode, we talked a lot about Steel Panther and the synthesis of the band and, you know, touring and the live show. But I'm personally interested in some of your history as a guitar player and having listened to, you know, some other interviews you did. I know that you went to school and you studied and got formal training as a guitar player. So I'm interested in maybe hearing a little bit of your background and how you learned. What are your thoughts on, you know, going to a music school and whether that you feel like that helped you in some way compared to like, you know, a lot of other people in the guitar world that are mostly self-taught, like just maybe a little bit about your background and training. Well, you know, I, I, I did go to GIT for a little while and I, and I taught there for a little while as well. And, and I, and I hung out there as much as I could because um, there was just so many great musicians there. And mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, <laughs> 30 years ago before you were born Shimon, um there was there it was really cool to say you know after guns and roses came out it became really cool to say that you'd never had a guitar lesson and you never went to music school and you were self-taught and that's cool if you're self-taught and you're good that's awesome but to me th- there is no benefit from refraining from going to school there's a benefit from all the awesome players and all the other points of view that you're going to get by surrounding yourself with other great musicians. Cause there's so many of them and everybody's got a different approach to music and everybody's got a different approach to the instrument. And for me going to GIT was, was, um, it was, 
Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> it's time for the zoomies. <laughs> um, so yeah, for me, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> for me, it was, it was priceless going to GIT and being surrounded by, I mean, when I went to GIT, it was, you know, Paul Gilbert was like, you could go there any day of the week and he would just be in there like playing guitar. And I could just go sit in a room with Paul Gilbert. I could go sit in a room with Scott Henderson, you know, or Joe, like there, there was just so many great players at GIT when I was there. And I would just go in there and, and watch them play and listen to them play. And, um, you know, it well, is, what was it like? What was it like walking into a room with Paul Gilbert? Was it, what was, cause here's the thing is I see, you know, I don't know Paul personally at all. Um, but he seems like such a humble dude, but like, you know, he plays a, a pink Ibanez in the in the video, and he looks like he, like I mean like he's saying like I'm the best. Look at me, I can play really fast, and he plays really fast. But then he's so nice. Is he really that nice, or is he like in his head like I'm going to pretend like I'm nice and then be the best guitar player, but secretly be passive aggressively a dick? He's the biggest dick. No, I'm just kidding. No, he, <laughs> he is he is one of the nicest guys you'll ever fucking meet, and um, and he's very very humble. But he's also he's he's you know what he's like. He's like Carl Sagan on the guitar. He's very, <laughs> very scientific and he's very um, uh, cerebral. And um, you know, you can hear it in his playing. He, he's he's very he he has a very cerebral approach to the instrument and to music in general. And um, but he has such an appreciation for music in general. Like you know, he's known for being a shredder guitar player, which he is. And I don't think there's anybody better. He's got such an amazing sense of timing and it's and a great sense of articulation. And, and he's just so, so good on the instrument. Um, but he's also, um, you know, he's very, very, uh, very into songwriting and, and uh, you know, playing other instruments. Like, you know, when, when I, I mean, 35 years ago, he would just like, he would learn pieces on the piano as much as he could. And, and that made me want to learn piano too. And, and he turned me on to like, you know, out of the way bands that, that I ne wouldn't normally have been turned on to and, and artists that, uh, you know, like Utopia and Todd Rundgren stuff like that, you know, that, that was, I probably wouldn't have listened to if I hadn't known him, but these, you know, some really, really great approaches to, um, you know, songwriting and, um, you know, and he's he's really into songwriting. I mean, honestly, I think Paul would, you know, if he wanted to be known for anything, he'd probably want to be known for his songwriting more than his guitar playing. But, you know, because he loves to write songs and he's really good at that as well. And, um, you know, he's he's also loves to produce, you know, songs in a studio and he produces other bands as well. And, and um, but he's, he is an incredibly humble guy and he's he's a he's a very. Um, He's a great teacher as well. He's been doing that, you know, his whole life as well. Um, totally great dude. It was a it was a great experience being able to hang out with him and just absorb things from him and uh, and and look at his approach. And for me, I, I was like, I tried to take as much as I could from him. But I think the thing that I got more than anything was just um, all the music that he listened to. He used to go, you know, be, this is before there was Spotify, and before you had the entire world at your fingertips on your phone. Yeah, he used to have to go to record stores and he would go to record stores with, you know, 60 bucks and he would go to the used record store and just pick out all these albums that looked cool. And he would just go home with a stack of records and he would sit in front of his record player and he would 
he would play every song on the record and he would listen to it. And if he, and if he, and if he liked anything on it, he would keep the record and the shit that he didn't like, he would take back and trade it in for more records. And he used to do that every weekend. And, and uh, it, to me, I think that's something that's, um, you know, most musicians don't do enough. Like it's, it's easy to not listen to enough stuff and you should listen to as much as you can. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because I, there was a record store near me called albums. And I know there's a lot of people like record stores are a dying breed and they all have to sell shoes and other things. But like back in the day, they had the section where you bought the $25 CDs that were the imports were actually just bootlegs that someone was making. And you could even get those records and all that sort of stuff. But I went to albums <clears throat> And then when I was working at a guitar store, I would go there with, uh, you know, three or four hundred dollars. That was, uh, you know, I worked an insane amount of time and I would just buy as many CDs as I could. And I'd be like, OK, I, I literally buy Iron Maiden because I liked the cover. I bought White Snake because I liked the cover. You know what I mean? Like, and I would go and I'd, and I'd come home with just stacks of CDs. And as, as soon as you had, uh, you know, Windows Media Player, I was sitting there putting every CD in and archiving it and... I have a hard drive that's kind of like Spotify, but that I made it myself, like taking cocaine, staying up all night, writing every fucking song. And I think there's a huge art that's missing from having to listen to albums, having, because now you have instant gratification. You don't even listen to an album. You listen to one song. My 15-year-old, my her friend came over and was saying something like, oh yeah, well, I don't really say that I like bands. I might like a song by a band, but I don't like bands. And it's like, you've never even given a single band a chance because she lives in a culture where all you have to do is like pour some sugar on me. And that's Def Leppard. Yeah. I mean, listen, music has become a very throwaway thing. It's, 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 it has become devalued to the point where, where, you know, like I said on the last episode, you know, you, you don't, you don't have enough time as a human being on this planet to listen to a 1% of all the music that you have on your phone available right now. So you, you'll never be able to do it. So, I think a lot of people feel like, well, I'm just, you know, I've listened to one song by that band and there's 40 million other bands out there. So I've listened to enough of that band. And, you know, back when we were kids, it was like you actually had to spend 20 fucking dollars on one CD. So when you got the fucking CD, you were like, I'm going to listen to it. That was a lot of money, man. It was a lot of money. You remember when they actually got $20 for a CD? You went in and you're like. Oh, I could buy the tape, but I could spend four dollars more and get it on CD, and it'll last forever. But but not only that, because of the the way we were listening, and and you know, it's funny because you know I think our ages are all a little skewed, but at the same time, we were before the digital realm um, when we started listening to music. So yeah, I had a cassette tape, and guess what? I had a Walkman, and you could only fit one cassette tape. So you listen to that cassette fucking a million <coughs> times because. Otherwise, you'd have to go dig another or one. Or even and pop buying it in. the cassette and putting it next to the to the to the stereo. So when your favorite song came on, you tried getting it without the DJ talking over it. Like, right? Ah, but, don't talk over <laughs> the intro. I want to fucking get that. But regardless, the point was you couldn't just pick and shoot <laughs> unless you made your own you know concoction of a mixtape. You had your album. You know you listened to that record start to finish, and you did it until you were sick of it, and you grabbed another one. Whereas now. Listening to a song start to fit, that means you have to take shuffle off <laughs> and, you know, on Spotify or something. And it yeah. just doesn't happen. Not to jump back in, but going back to the original question um, about music school, it's one, something that you mentioned that was really interesting was, <laughs> you know, a lot of people think about the idea of formal training as getting lessons from, let's say, a guitar teacher, piano teacher. But I totally agree with you that a lot of the value that I got from going to like a conservatory style school was the exposure to peers, you know, and being able to play or being forced to play with people. 
on the spot, you know, different types of music and seeing what they could do and learning from them more so than from teachers. And I'm just wondering if there's, you know, there was anything else besides that that you took from music school or anything that you found incredibly valuable that you wouldn't necessarily find just like being a, a guitar player floating out in the world, you know? Well, I, you know, I was very, I was very young when I went to GIT. I was like 17 years old and, and, uh, and it, it was pretty daunting because there was like 800 guitar players and they were all really good. And, and for me, um, it, it was, um, there was also a lot of great teachers there that were all insane at what they did. They were all different styles. Like Scott Henderson is really probably the greatest, one of the greatest jazz players on the planet, you know, and, and then you could walk into another room with like Steve Travato, who's just an amazing country guitar player. And it, every time I would walk into another room, it was like, oh my God, I want to be able to do that. Like, I want to be able to play like the, that guy or that guy. But then it, it really forced me to, to pick a direction because it, you gotta, you know, I would much rather be really good at something than half ass at a bunch of things. And, um, and there's only so many hours that you have to be able to get good at something. And, you know, there, there's some dudes that, that are, are masters at lots of different styles, but, you know, for me, I, I just went, well, this is the kind of music that I like. I really love to write and listen to rock music. So I'm going to focus my energy there and do, and do this and follow that path as opposed to learning how to play over two, five, one progressions and, and, you know, getting 40 million licks that I'm never going to use after I leave GIT, you know? So for me, it was, it was, you know, that was part of it. Like, like, who am I? You know, I had to, I had to make decisions like that. Who, who, who do I want to be a year from now? What do I want to be good at five years from now? You know? And, um, for me, it was all about um, writing songs about dicks and pussies. So, <laughs> well, so but the, but that's interesting. So, writing was something that you already had a, a serious interest in when you went when you went in because dicks and pussies. <laughs> no, but for me, like I went to music school. You like and, dicks too? Oh, I just like writing about derailed? dicks. I love dicks. I think they're great, <laughs> awesome thing. I mean, I don't like to suck them or anything, but I mean, know. I can't disagree. <laughs> Yvonne, I knew you had something in common with Satchel. <laughs> well, I was trying to get to what we actually have in common in the sense that we went to music school, but I was <laughs> trying to ask a question when you interrupted me. Um, now Sounds I forgot like what it was. Uh, <laughs> God. Oh, yeah. No, talking about writing, because, you know, as a violinist, you go to music school. And if you go as like an orchestral violinist or classical musician, it's all about just playing like studying writing or composition is like a totally separate discipline. So I'm interested to hear if, you know, your experience there, that was something you were able to do in practice as like a young, I mean, you said you were 17 when you went. So obviously you got exposure to that pretty young. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I think that's, that's probably something that's, that's a, a, you know, for rock musicians as opposed to classically trained musicians, that's something that just comes with being a rock musician. Cause the, the day that you start playing the guitar is the day that you start learning how to write a song. Cause you, you learn stairway to heaven and then you realize that, Oh, there's like different sections and you know, there, it's an arrangement. That's what you've, you might learn later that that's an arrangement or whatever, but, but you start learning how to write songs from the minute you start playing the guitar because you're learning from, you know, guys like Jimmy Page and, and Richie Blackmore and, and they were all really good songwriters. And, and for me, you know, you know, I think I was writing writing music the the first week I started playing, and and then of course once I saw how many guys could play lead guitar well when I was going to GIT, then I realized, oh shit! Well, you know, 
that has to be something that makes, you know, if I don't get good at writing, I'm just going to be one of the 2 million awesome lead guitar players out there. And even though my jawline definitely separates me from a lot of them. <laughs> well, um, that leads me to a really yeah. important point because you say this a lot, but it's, it's completely true. So part of the gag with Steel Panther is that you actually write amazing songs. And a lot of your songs, now you know this as a, a composer and a writer, there are songs that are like, okay, that's the Bon Jovi living on a prayer key change. Or that's the coda that Tesla uses a lot in their songs. And we're going to do like a little breakdown like this. Your songs, I don't want to say are derivative, but the, the structures are brilliant mirrors of the music that you're paying an homage to. How do you compose and go like, do you go like, I want to take, you know, a, the feel from like this extreme song and I, I, I wanted to hit like Warrant does with this and all because it seems like it's almost hard not to because it, obviously you're writing music in the style of the 80s heavy metal, which is my favorite music of all time. But it, it's so unique and original, but at the same time, it's as if it's like historical fiction. It should have been concurrent. You know what I mean? Like you, you could have been doing killing Abraham Lincoln before the other guy. You know, it's it's it, the, the, our first record was was definitely geared a lot more towards you know because because it, it was okay we got a record deal and even though some of the first songs I wrote were were songs like you know was like Fat Girl which which was on purpose trying to to cop like some Def Leppard like the whoa whoa yeah. it's very Def Leppard right there but the rest of it was like you don't what? say Mutt you Lang know? is like dude that's my thing. So, so, I mean, but then there was certain songs that were already written for that record, like Community Property, which isn't really geared after any one song in particular. But but when when I was finishing writing the rest of our first record, it was like, OK, well, how are we going to bring people in? You know, and that was part of the goal. Like, like, I need to write a song that's similar to Living on a Prayer, because that was such a huge song. So Party All Day, Party All Day was, you know written on the keyboard and it was very much like what's that you know that keyboard riff da, 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 you know it's kind of the same bass line and then the rest of it was just like i want to cop the vibe but i don't want to cop this the it's got to be a different uh it's got to be different enough so that it's not the same song and there and there's a balancing act there but but once we got past the first record then it became you know then it became clear that there was only so many huge 80s hits yeah. That, and for me, it became more and more about, okay, I just got to write songs that are cool and that are 80s sounding, but I'm not going to be able to keep on digging. You know, I mean, listen, there are certain things that still inspire me. I still love Judas Priest. You know, if I put on like Sad Wings of Destiny, I always get inspired. It makes me feel heavy metal. You know, I listen to Accept. If I listen to Accept, I go, fuck. That's it's so simple, you know. It's all about the guitar riff and the guitar tone, and I honestly feel like some of the best Steel Panther songs that I've written have been things that I went, "I'm going to write the dumbest riff I've ever written." Like I just want it to be super stupid and something that I wouldn't normally write if I was being a GIT guitar player. Like I just want it to be dumb and simple, and that's a lot of times that's the shit that resonates with people the most. Eyes of a Panther dude, was like, dude. Yeah. Do you realize that last year that Old Town Road was the biggest song of the year? It is literally the definition of basic. I was a wedding DJ for years, 
And what I realized is if it doesn't pass the drunk bitch test, and I mean that in the nicest of ways, but like you're saying live it on a prayer, that's something where you could turn down the crossfader and they go, and you know this, and there's a certain power that you have when when you do that sort of stuff. So like being anticipatory of understanding what makes a song that level of epic, because you go see even Bon Jovi, I mean, you can't see them now, but if you were to see them now, you still can understand, like there are some bands that, you know, you go, oh, like like Motley Crue is a band that I've seen, and I'm like, oh, they did not age well for me. I, I kind of, like, I lost it for them. But then you go see Bon Jovi, a band you kind of thought was poofy a little bit, and you're like, holy shit! Even with this Phil X guy, who's maybe even better than Sambora, uh, they rock! And all these songs were designed to, like, be like a Circuit City morning meeting. You know, like, hey, just play the Desmond Child song, Press play on it and just let Richie Sambora and uh, and John Bon Jovi like together like get everybody invigorated so we can go out and do some business today and sell some fucking cars, like and that's how I, how I feel like those songs were written and like I feel like when I listen to Steel Panther, you guys literally said okay, we've been to so many stadium shows, we've seen Journey, we've seen Aerosmith, but well Kiss does this thing and whatever and you take the best of all that like a buffet the fat girl buffet and then you put that all in your songs and your show so and it's great because where people can say oh Greta Van Fleet's plagiarizing Led Zeppelin if you're plagiarizing Warrant good <laughs> I, this is this is the uh, time in the in the second episode oh, where ben, it, ben, ben goes off the rails in some <laughs> irrelevant oh way. yeah that's right that's what I do but you you haven't interrupted us enough for Siobhan to tell you to shut the fuck up yet, so yeah, you're doing better. You've been good the last few episodes. I've been taking my pills. On 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 the topic of the songwriting, <laughs> I, I think I agree. I think all, the earlier songs were definitely like a very transitional kind of like, oh, it's that band that does covers, but this sounds eerily familiar, so I'm going to listen to their originals. But I, I've found your originals since then, especially like on on the later records, to have like this crazy mix of that like a modern. It's I mean. The thing, they're fucking pop records, but done in the style of '80s, which I think is phenomenal. Pop in the sense of the uh, of the the singability. Yeah, they're the catchiest fucking hook- yeah, song. They're, they're, they're cow- yeah, I'm in the shower going community property. Even more so when like in like the later, the, you know, you know, if you really, really, really love me, like like that. That's if if Justin Bieber sang that over like a trap beat, <laughs> it would be number one <laughs> on the charts. They're great fucking songs. I appreciate that, Corey. That's that's like that's a huge compliment. I mean, for me, it's it's always been you know, for me as a musician, I always felt like like it's all about the song. That's 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 why you know, for me, it was like being a young kid learning how to shred was like, okay, maybe I don't need to be as good as Ingbe. Maybe I should really just learn how to write killer songs because because it's all about like writing hooks that people want to continue to like. You know, you're always competing with people if you're a band. Like, like people can always listen to something else. Like, and you want them to go, "Oh, wait, I I like that. I'm gonna I'm gonna play Steel Panther again." Because they every time they get in their car, they're you're you're in the competition. It's you against everything else in the world, and you want them to pick your shit. And that's the only way you're gonna be successful as a musician is by winning more often than the other people. And 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 that's where the hooks come in. Like you gotta have something that people are gonna go. I want to hear that song again. I want to hear that again. And you know, I, I've there's been a lot of songs throughout my life that that I've heard, and I went, 
oh my god i got i've got to listen to that song 50 times in a row because it's that good and that's what i always want to write for other people i want people to go yes i'm going to listen to that's when you came in again and again and again i want to hear that again <clears throat> and um the more songs you have like that as a band the be the better off you you're, you're going to be and the more of a chance you have of getting laid on a regular basis. <laughs> well, speaking of the writing process, this interests me because I'm, I don't do a lot of writing. I'm more of like a player, I guess, because I'm a violinist. But what does that look like for you when you sit down to write a song just out of my own curiosity? You're a guitar player, but you mentioned that you got interested in keyboard too. Like what, what is kind of the first step when you're writing a song? Is it something that you do on the guitar? Is it, do you start with rhythm? Like where, where does it begin for you mostly? Um, for me, you know, well, for, for Steel Panther, I mean, I, when I just write to write, it's, if it's not for Steel Panther, I don't know. It could be anywhere, but but for Steel Panther, a lot of the times it has to start with subject matter because if I don't start with the subject matter, then it's kind of hard to to figure out a melody and then fit the subject matter in. So if I know what I want to sing about and how I want to deliver the 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 punchline or the or the chorus or whatever it is, like it's got to be a an approach to the subject matter that's you know that's good and funny and hooky and and probably different like you can only write asian hooker once you can only write <laughs> once so there's got to be a different approach to the song every time and and um for me i don't know why but like i don't know about you guys but i always feel real creative when i go in the shower if i'm in the shower i'm just like you know washing my balls i'm like this is you know, <laughs> Thinking melodies and like ideas come out. Siobhan and can relate to that totally. Have you ever thought to yourself that maybe you could be the Max Martin of metal? Because I feel like that, first off, if you wanted, like, I feel like you could write a better Metallica album than Metallica could. You know what I mean? Like, if, 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 if they said, hey, you know, um, don't lose your iPhone, Satchel. Um, maybe keep these riffs on, a, like, on another external hard drive so that James and Lars don't have to be the only ones writing everything but i feel like genuinely that you understand music so well that if you even said like hey go write a bon jovi record that you could do it like why wouldn't you be the swedish guy singing for bon jovi into a thing like here's gonna be your new hit i know you haven't like you could be the david foster to chicago <laughs> well that's very that's very kind of you benny i mean i, I you know that's uh, that's one of the things about writing songs like i always feel like uh you know there's i know some some dudes who love to co-write I'm not a huge fan of co-writing because it's, I always feel like there's so much pressure. You sit down in a room with somebody and you start bouncing ideas off. And, and if nothing, so, you know, if the first idea that comes to you sucks, like, and the other guy goes, Oh yeah, that's great. Then you feel like, <laughs> Oh shit. I don't like this guy's in music. He likes my shitty ideas. <laughs> there's this pressure of like, Oh God, I can't believe you like that idea. That was the worst idea I've ever had. So for me, I like to be, like sit in alone in a room somewhere and just go, you know, I'm going to wait until the good ideas come out and throw out a bunch of ideas until I can, you know, something that I like comes out and then take my time with it. But, but there's some people that love to just go, you know, Nashville writers, they do it all the time. They sit there, they write 50 songs a day and they put 50 fucking records out a day and one of them becomes a hit and they buy 14 mentions. You know? Oh my yeah. gosh. That's, that's incredible though, that you can, I, cause I mean, for me, I mean, I don't write a lot, but whenever I do get ideas, they're always 
around when I'm collaborating with other people or after I've played a concert. Like if I just put myself in an empty room, it doesn't happen. So I, I, I it's amazing because I, I imagine it's probably hard in 2020 people, you know, if you need to be inspired by other people to write, it doesn't really help you have unlimited time. So I have a question. Yeah, I, I agree, Siobhan. I think that's that's true. And, and one thing with, with people that write, and I know Ben and I are on the same page with this, but we have hard drives full of unfinished songs. Yeah. How does your hard drive look? Oh, it's the same way. It's, I mean, it, I, I, most of my unfinished songs are actually on my phone. Cause I just <laughs> here and then it will be, um, it, it has to go through the process. Like, you know, if the, if the idea is good enough to make it to the phone, then it's better than nine of nine or 10 other ideas. So and do if, you think Google will eventually release your albums without asking you? <laughs> oh my God. Like like Alexa, release Satchel's unreleased recordings. <laughs> out there right now, right? And, uh, and and you know all the all the Google people are fucking buying new houses with the money they're making on the advertising. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, there's a, there's a million ideas on the phone, and then one out of every twenty of those ideas will get developed and actually made into a demo, right? And then most of the time, like by the time I make it into a demo, then I'm determined enough to finish the song. Occasionally, those songs won't get finished, and that'll be on the that'll be on the hard drive. But but most of the time, by the time it makes it to, okay, I'm going to finish a song, and it's going to go into a, a Logic Pro session or something. Mm-hmm. I'll just fucking grind it out until I finish it. And you know, sometimes it comes out really good, and sometimes it's not as good as. I no, was- we're way we're way worse than this. Corey and I. The first off, we've <laughs> enabled ourselves with this thing called templates. So I have like a drum set with like 15 mics already set up and all that. So we don't have to get sounds. We don't have to do anything that requ- that's like the shitty part of recording. All we need to do is pull up the template, plus record, and our ideas sound like a record. So we get like 90% done with the song, and then it's like one vocal part bums us out. And then 10 years later, we're like, <laughs> yes. hey, man, remember that song we did? Like, <laughs> no, we pull it up. We're like, holy shit, it's trying to reconnect to the track and all that. But like, literally... I think I think it's like we're pushing on like Paul Lorenzo, our drummer, is the worst. He's he he doesn't like me saying his age, but he's probably closer to your age than our age. And he literally has, I would say, Prince, like a Prince amount of music unreleased. When I first met him in 2008, he gave me like an MP3 folder of like 13 demos, and some of them had vocals and so. But like, I feel like to be a true blue musician, that you have to write like. 10,000 songs before you get a riff where you're like literally like I do want to put that on my phone I can remember singing this in the shower and there's so many people that think that they could just sit down in front of like Fruity Loops whatever Pro Tools and just write a song where it's like you have to just be awake at night with riffs in your head and music going through you to do what you do because I, I gotta tell you those songs every part of them they're, they're so intricate they're so perfect like the key changes, the melodies the textures and that's the thing for me that sells Steel Panther is because not only is it hilarious, because like you do for 15 minutes, not even play this music I'm talking about. You guys are going back and forth about whose birthday it is and who has nice tits or who's whatever. And it's usually very uplifting. But when you get to the music, <laughs> it's very clear that you listen to, uh, to to Judas Priest, that you listen to Iron Maiden, that you listen to Metallica, that Paul Gilbert was in the room with you and the guy that played jazz was in the room next to you. And still, you guys value that, and that's why you're that much funnier to me, because you could be a gag, and people would still like it, because basic people would just... They like other cover bands that aren't as good as you guys, but you guys really take it home, and I I gotta tip my hat to you, because, you know, Motley Crue's got it wrong. They're twisted. 
<laughs> well, you know, I mean, but like I said, I mean, listen, Molly Crew hasn't taken the time to listen to us like you have. And, and uh, I appreciate that a lot, what you said. And, and uh, but yeah, I mean, the, like I said, the people that hate us the most are people that, that they look at the cover of the book and they go, I'm going to hate that book. I'm not going to read it. You know, like Eddie Trunk, like Eddie Trunk hates us. And uh, that's he doesn't hate butter. He doesn't fucking know what we sound like. Somebody asked him a question one time. They went, okay, well, you know, they've got this song like, um, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he went, oh, yeah, no, I know. I've heard. Well, that song's probably about this. They went, well, haven't you listened to it? And he went, no, but I'm sure it's probably like like he hadn't even listened to the song he was critiquing by us. And I thought, well, if that doesn't take your credibility away as a reviewer, I don't know what will. You can't you can't bag on a band without actually listening. Well, wasn't he the guy that like when Dio died, literally just sat there the whole time talking about how he knew Dio and how Dio thought he was so cool. And then like that Dio like one time met him when he was at Heaven and Hell and that like he ran into Dio and Dio recognized him in the bathroom and that when he was doing this thing with Dio, he got to walk on stage in front of Dio's fans. It's like, dude, who cares about those guys? The only thing that's cool about a guy like Eddie Trunk is the fact that there's metal associated with him and anybody that gets people to listen to metal I don't know. is cool I th- by me. I think he's on to something. I like this like reviewing albums and tracks that you don't even listen to. I think that could be a thing. <laughs> that's, that's the new normal, guys. Like, I wanted to listen to this record, but I just decided it sucked, so I gave it a one-star review. awesome dude that's the problem with putting fucking records out once you're a band and you've got any kind of a following like it doesn't matter who it is people wait for your record your new record to come out just so they can bag on it and say this is so much worse than their last record and they don't even listen to it before they fucking say that kind of shit i just I, i it blows my mind that anyone can can shit on you guys and be like serious about it like just just because of the context of the band it seems so odd to like anyone taking it that seriously doesn't get it well like, there's a lot of people that uh you're right i mean we, we've we've sort of insulated ourselves from right from criticism with, with certain things i mean you know obviously like you know if you don't like the fact that you know we sing about pussy or tits or anal sex or old people fucking in an old folks home, then, then you, you shouldn't be listening to us in the first place. If you can't get past that, then if you think that we're childish, then yeah, you're probably not going to, if you don't like the title um, gang bang at the old folks home, then you're probably not going to like the music either. So you're probably going to write a bad review, but, but um, you know, that's what's funny about reading bad reviews like that. But I think it, that's also the interesting thing. I mean, if, if, if if we're good for anything, we're definitely good to show people how subjective music is because you could go, you could go on to, um, you know, re, you know, user reviews on Amazon for Steel Panther records, and it'll be five star reviews one after the other until you get to the one star review, and then it'll be the worst fucking review you've ever read. This is the shittiest band. They deserve to die. If they don't die soon, I will kill them myself. They don't deserve to be called musicians. These guys. But don't you like the polarization? Because I feel like that that shows that you're doing something right. Because it's like, that, yeah. those are the movies that I really like. Like When I go see a horror movie, it's got like 6.5 on IMDb. I'll go and read. Like, like totally brilliant. This is like unbelievable. This is unbelievable. Then one, like, 
predictable and vapid. Like, no, you suck, dude. There's like five of like, this is the best thing since Hostel. Like, yeah. you got to be careful exactly. because it's and like... Because of exact, exactly that reason, your, your, your bad reviews are amazing reviews for your They're band. They're the best ones. Like, all your fans must read those and laugh their ass off. It's like when you read a review, you go, you know, you're, you're reading a review of a, of a B movie, like, like uh, you know, about a giant, a giant, like, a giant piranha or, or megalodon or something, right? And, and they're like, oh, a megalodon. Yeah. You know, dude, it's supposed to be like that. You fucking asshole. Like, like you don't, get it. there's, there's certain things. Evil that- dead was not good because the editing was not seamless. It's like, what? The whole reason it's awesome is because it's terrible. Um, actually trees don't move like that. Yeah. And most often it's from people that have never once either made a movie or made music. It's, it's the same thing with playing too. It's like violin. Like I look at, I watch videos of amazing violinists and there'll be some crazy person who clearly has never played the violin. That's like, Oh no, this was wrong. I'm like, do you know how hard it is to play this piece? Like, yeah. who are you? It's crazy. There's, oh my God, listen, if, if there's one thing about the internet age, it's the fucking keyboard warriors out there. That <laughs> like the, Everybody's a fucking musician. Everybody's a songwriter. Everybody's a fucking political scientist. And you just want to kick everybody in the fucking nuts, you know? Keyboard warrior. I smell a song. I smell a Steel Panther song. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, but the thing is, is I love trolling the trolls, man, because that's one of the things. It's like I, I feel like I'm like Go- I'm like Gozer the Gozerian. I'm like Vigo the Destroyer. Like all your hatred and all, all that, I feed off of that. And then I start blowing you kisses, and then I start hearting all the things that you say, and then I start going, I think maybe I've changed my perception just because of you. And in fact, everything that you've said, all of these vindictive, hateful, un- un- uh, unfounded things have all led to this moment, this, this intervention. Thank you. And I-, I love that because here's the thing. Most people don't get that because most movies are boring. Most people don't even bother to write a review because they forgot it by the time they were ending. When you leave a Steel Panther show, there's one of two things that are happening. It's either a guy looking at it and another guy going, that was fucking awesome. And did you see Satchel do his solo while, while he played like the kick drum? And then a girl going, I don't think we can be together anymore. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, because, or, or they get it because they're the ones that showed the tits. You know what I mean? But like, it's such a great experience. And I, the way I look at it is you're better off making someone feel even if they hate you. Than not feeling anything at all. I couldn't agree with you more. There, there's, you know, if you know, if any band that that has success is going to have haters, right? And and listen, there, there's there's shit that I hate too. You know, I mean, there's shit that I can't stand. I mean, listen, I'm never going to be a fan of K-pop. I'm just not, you know. And <laughs> but that doesn't mean that the people that listen to it, you know, don't genuinely like it and feel something for it. I, I don't know why they do, but but that doesn't mean they don't. So, but but you know, it also like I'm not the kind of guy who's going to spend my time going on to key pop albums and writing horrible reviews just because <laughs> you know, like I'm going to be that guy. I I fucking hate you. Your band is horrible. I haven't listened to this fucking record, but you guys are so fucking pretty. Fuck you. The thing is, though, if you did that, it'd be hilarious. <laughs> It'd be amazing. Maybe that'll be my YouTube channel that takes off, right? Just me reading shitty reviews for K-pop artists in South Korea. <laughs> Dude, that, 
See, the thing is, you the, the thing that I love about you and everybody in your band, because Corey and I were lucky enough, we've, we've got to interview you, and we've also, you've been so gracious, and, and your whole band's been gracious, that you always hook us up with tickets and take care of us and treat us like family. And every single show, you guys come up with completely unique bullshit to talk about. Like, there is no shortage from the well of, like, witty-isms and back and forth. And, you know, some people might think that it's mindless and stupid, but I think it's mindless and stupid in the same way South Park is. Because you find the lowest common denominator, and then you go, "Oh, there isn't a lower one." Well, Michael Starr or 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 or, or sticks over here is going to find the lower common denominator, and everyone in the audience is going to go, "Oh shit, that was just a giant Bono joke." You know what I mean? And you guys get it every single night, and and that's what I have to again tip my hat to you is because where everyone thinks that maybe or not everyone, where a lot of people might look at your cover and say, "This is the dumbest mu- music. This is stupid." What you do requires so much cerebral fortitude because you're on you're like playing jazz except with comedy on stage Rodolfo Zuniga one of her friends that we've got to meet he plays jazz and he says it's the ultimate form of music because it's always keeping you on on your toes and you guys are like fucking comedy jazz well I think you're right in in that in that comparison I mean there's there's a lot of you know our show is you know songs that are I I feel like there's two elements to, to us and I feel like you know the songs are 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 well-written and well-structured and well-arranged and, and we need to stick to that structure. But then when we're not playing a song, it is a lot of, you never know where it's going to go. So that there is that element of danger. Like this could go somewhere completely fucked up and oftentimes does. And um, so, you know, I think that's a, it's a good balance because, you know, it's not, it's like, as soon as you think it couldn't get more fucked up, we go back to like this safety of a song that you know and, and it's familiar, even though it might be about fucking an old woman, it's still something that's like you know it's structured. It's something. Well, can I ask you? But look, so when you write about fucking an old woman, do you use sense memory? Because you know my fifteen-year-olds taking acting classes and they talk about sense memory. And you know, for people that don't know the term, it's like you know when you want to cry, you think about like when you went to your grandma's funeral. Or, you know, when you want, you want to feel pain, you think about that time you got the shot and you almost passed out. But you write about fucking old chicks. Is there a place you go? Yeah, I usually remember the night before on the tour bus. <laughs> when Michael Starr's mom came to visit. <laughs> I had like five questions I was going to ask and I just they all just floated out of <laughs> <in> my brain. <laughs> Oh, no, what I was going to say, no, but but like on the side of the performer, though, that's amazing that you maintain that spontaneity, because I know that that's something that like sometimes even for me in certain shows that I've done before, it gets old when you do the exact same thing every single night and it's scripted and you get used to that like routine of just like the the same rhythm. And it's I think it's nice to have that that kind of feeling of a little bit of danger of like you don't know if something's going to go terribly awry. Yeah, I mean, there's every every night in our show. I mean, there's. Even though, like, listen, like we're not we're not trained classically trained, and we're certainly not jazz guys. And there's only so much improv on the instruments that's going to happen, especially with Lexi Fox. But <laughs> there's, there's always little portions of every show, like like when we do like Girl from Oklahoma, where I'll just you know be playing the guitar, and, and everybody, will, I'll force everybody in the band to improvise a song about a girl in the audience or a girl on stage, and it's like put the spotlight on them and then write a song right now. And it, and it's, it's so much fun to see. It's like, who's li- remember the show? Whose line is it anyway? Yeah. I feel like 
Yeah, but that's true because you guys will get like to paint a picture. You'll get like twenty girls on stage, and they're willing. And if they're not willing, their boyfriends are like, "Oh no, no, you should go up. Like you've never <laughs> been up before. You need to go up." And you'll get a bunch of chicks, and then you will literally hand off the microphone, and you know, sticks will get on like the keyboard sometimes, and then like you know, Lexi's doing his thing. And you guys, it's like you're on just a J two hundred owning it, and you're and this is where you run the show. And I've seen it fifteen times, and every single time it's different because you will bring whatever girl, and how she reacts yeah. determines where you guys go. And sometimes girls are all for it, like they're they're for lack of a better term, dirty horse. Um, and others are a little bit, let's say, inhibited. <laughs> no doubt. I mean, we we get we get young girls that are totally willing to show their tits and. We get old ladies that don't really want to do that, but it's always fun. I mean, we, we had a woman who was not kidding you, like in her eighties one time, and, and <laughs> I'm making lyrics up about you know fucking her old pussy, and he's just rolling with it. It was so awesome. so cool to be able to sing to an old lady about fucking her old pussy while her, while her like kids are out there and they're having a, everybody's having a great time. It's definitely, there are certain families who bring everybody in the family to our show. And I just think to myself, what the fuck is it like at these people's house at Christmas time? I don't fucking know. Well, you know what's funny is that I was one time, you, you know, our, our friend Ernie Bach. I was with Ernie Bach and Joe Perry. And we were about to, Joe Perry was about to play uh, uh, one of his solo shows. And he looks over to Ernie and, and in my direction. I don't want to say he looked at me, but he looked in my direction. And he goes, you know what? Like, I sometimes feel bad making so much money doing something I have so much fun doing. And I said, Mr. Perry, I never feel bad for making money doing anything, especially when I'm having fun. Do you ever think to yourself, like, I'm not only singing to some old lady on stage. I'm watching some girl with a fucking super nice rack and getting paid to sing about their dirty pussies on stage in front of their fucking husband. Yeah, it's awesome. It is. It's, 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 it's really a dream come true. You know, it's fucking awesome. We've lost all of our audience. My mom's like, I liked your show up until now. No, it's great. I can't stop laughing now. Oh, my God. Well, you know, Anne-Marie, and her mom, fucking loving this. She's like, this is my favorite one so far. He says exactly what he thinks. Yeah, no, my mom is that, because that's a household. I I grew up, my mom's from Scotland, and the Scottish people are very, like, first of all, they drink a lot, and second of all, they say whatever the fuck is in their brain. There's just no filter. So I always like growing up, I was terrified of like people meeting my mother because like so many Americans are so polite, like in the Midwest, it's like, oh, you don't say anything that's politically incorrect or whatever. And my mom will just shoot her mouth off. So like, (laughs) I I totally love that. I love playing in Scotland. It's fucking amazing. I can't understand a fucking thing they say, but they're they're great. (laughs) I think we're, uh, especially I can speak for myself. I I'm like now craving a goddamn Steel Panther concert. They need to get this sh- whole country well, squared away is, so we can I, see I, another one. I could say this definitively, and 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 actually, a story I'll, I'll say before we leave. The la- one of the last times I saw my friend Ollie, um, Herbert, our, our friend who played on Lost Symphony, which by the way is our sponsor, which by the way Samuel <laughs> plays imagine. on Chapter One, <laughs> yeah. on a song. Um, you, you know what I mean? Uh, and, and I, I can't, I can't tell you how much. We really appreciated one, having two. you on our record. But we brought Ollie, and it was the first time that Corey and I had not been to a Steel Panther show together <laughs> in, I want to say, six or seven years. And we put together a bunch of videos of you and Sticks telling Corey how much he fucked up because we literally, uh, no matter what we were ever doing, Corey and I would stop what we're doing and be like, dude, well, you're obviously going to Panther, right? Like, we, we got to go to Panther. Like, we have to go see Panther. 
And I remember that being one of my favorite memories because Ollie was such an incredible guitar player. But when he went to see you, first off, they wouldn't let him backstage, even when I got him a backstage pass, because he was like so timid that, that like he didn't do the I should belong here walk. So they're like, no, sir, not you. You got a pass afterwards. So I actually called you and made you go get Ollie. And you were so nice that in your own show, in your own VIP area, like you went and like combated the people to go get Ollie back there. And we made videos for Corey to say, you know, hey, Corey, you fucked up. And, and I mean, you're always hilarious. Everyone in, in, your, in your band is so gracious and so nice. But that's one of my greatest memories because I truly believe that that was the last time that I ever saw my friend. And um, those videos crack me up to this day. And I got to tell you that I sent it to Corey. And I think to this day, it might be the funniest thing that I've ever pranked him with. Yeah. <laughs> I was proud to be a part of it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, man. Well, we'll have to. Hey, Corey, you know what? You should find those videos and put and attach them. To this, to this. I'll see, I'll see if I can pretty, dig them They're up. pretty good. Dig in the archives, and, and, and yeah. Stick, it, sticks, it sticks really sticks it to you. Yes. Oh sticks it in you. We're coming up at the end. Uh, we, got, we got a few minutes left, but this is, but this, the is end. this is flown by. My only friend. Yeah. I just want to thank Satchel, you know, for, for really you know, digging deep and giving us a, some of the backstories that uh, I don't think we've, we've heard before. Well, and for making us laugh that I think that's the greatest lesson I got at all of this is like <laughs> laughter is just, yeah, it cures everything. Bring it to music, bring it to the stage, make everyone feel free. Well, the metal camaraderie is the thing I want people to take from Steel Panther. So like it, it's all in good fun. And that's the thing that I hate is like, if you guys were so serious there was like serious as Ingve is serious about himself. Like it wouldn't be cool. But the fact is, not only are you not serious, you're the first people to be self-deprecating. And people, it's it's cool to be. It's en vogue to be self-deprecating. Like you've had Miley Cyrus on stage with you. You've had Avril Lavigne on stage with you. You almost you did face fuck Kelly Clarkson. You had that moment with her. And the thing is, is that there's a lot of people that get what you do, um, but. The most important thing is, is is that you define metal for me as a kid. Again, that look to the other guy at the all-guys Catholic school, like, you got a Metallica shirt under there? Do you listen to Slayer? You know what I mean? And when you go to a Steel Panther show, it's like there's a there's another guy wearing spandex and with, with, with you know, a long wig on, and you're looking at each other like, that dude's badass. And, like, there's very few places where you can do that where you're wearing, like, lime green fucking tiger stripe uh, uh, spandex. And you're looking at another dude like, he probably fucks hot chicks. Exactly. Yeah, they, Panther. Yeah, man, it's, it's great. We're, we're keeping it alive, man. I'm telling you, it's, so, it's great. If you've never seen a Steel Panther show, I highly recommend coming to a Steel Panther show once the government lets us go out of our houses again. <laughs> Online is cool. You can go to our steelpantherrocks.com page and there's plenty of shit on youtube but but definitely come to the show when you get a chance you sure know, of course and plan you know letting us play live again and, and uh and it's always fun and i hope you know we all miss playing live i know you guys do too can't wait to get out there and actually playing for the audiences again and uh, well, listen i gotta tell you that Corey, Corey, i have to like beg him to do things with me like it's, the more we work together the more i'm like hey man when you come to my birthday he's like oh is this one of those essential hangout <laughs> things that we have to do but like literally since day one, you want to go to Panther? Yeah, man, I'm in. Like, which is why when he didn't come that one time, it was the end of the world. Like, how dare you say no to me about Panther? 
And that's one of the things is like, there is a camaraderie amongst your music. And I, and I have to say, first off, thank you for treating us like family. And I, I got to tell you that there's people that go to, that, to Steel Panther shows that are like a giant family. They're people that check you out everywhere. And I, I have to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for first off being on our Lost Symphony record, chapter one, lostsymphony.com, um, you know, treating our good friend Ollie so well, literally coming back, telling the security guys like, no, he's okay, he's fine. He's fine to the 6'4 wizard looking dude. And again, every single time, you're so humbling because your playing is incredible and people don't realize that you did go to the GIT with Paul Gilbert. You are learned, you are studious, and when you, you write a song, you craft a song, and it's very, very interesting to hear you refer to yourself as a composer before being a player or a shredder because a lot of people say, oh, this person or that person, but Steel Panther, it's melodies first, and there's no question about it. Well, I, pre I appreciate that, and it was my honor to be on on, on that record and, and play with you guys and and you guys are always, always family and welcome at our shows anytime. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing some shows and uh, seeing you guys there. Well, we got we got to bring Siobhan to a show. Yeah. He's I in know, Miami. I'm dying to see and, one now. And here, listen, listen. I'm not putting you on the spot while well, I'm putting you on the spot. I'm not that good. Corey is a little bit better, but he's a bass player. So, like, I mean, what's the point of that? Siobhan might even be above your pay grade. You should tell Siobhan to come out and do something with you because she's she's actually good. Like I mean, I'd love to, but like I can't sing the backups to Living on a Prayer. I can't physically, <laughs> my vocal folds won't go there where Michael goes. But Siobhan's pretty amazing. So I just, I recommend putting her on the spot because she's never got the Steel Panther experience. And if you haven't got that experience like Siobhan, I want 2020 when this is all done, when COVID is over and people can go out of their houses and we can rock the fuck out in person again. I want to see the look on Siobhan's face. I'm totally down to go. I'm so excited. I can't wait for it to happen. Honestly. Yeah, I hope it happens soon. I yeah. We love you, man. Thank you so much. 202020-d.com. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Satchel. Thank you to Media. Satchel for Satchel. being with us tonight. Yes. Steel Panther. We'll see Steel you next Panther, time. Steel Panther, Satchel. Awesome. Thank you. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard.